This is a HeadGum Podcast. In 86, Anna Martin wrote the first book of what became a cult. Now it's time the Babysitter's Club Tenor. Hello, Jack. What a pleasure to see you for the first time tonight. What do you mean? We're just beginning. Just go with me on this because for the beginning. No, we just recorded. We just recorded for like an hour with Kristen. Go with me on this. From Buffering the Vampire Slayer. Oh, Jesus. For the Baby Nation, it's going to be later in the episode. So it's pr- professionally speaking, it makes more sense for us to pretend like we haven't had the interview yet because then it will seem more seamless when we throw to her. What do you mean throw to her? Kristen, do you know what he's talking about? No, she's not here. Any, she's just follow my lead. I mean, I know she's not live, but I assume like you're. <laughs> okay, how about this? You don't have to fully understand the concept, but can you follow my lead? Yeah. Okay. Hey, Tanner. Good to see you for the first time tonight. Hey, Jack. Hey, Kristen. It's really no! great being here with you. Okay. Yeah. I'm gonna try to make this as natural as possible, Kristen. No. Uh, do you know what he's talking about? I don't... <laughs> Follow my lead. Yeah. Ready? Hey, Tanner. Hey, well, Kristen. Po- no. <laughs> no, Jack. Say, hey, Jack. Let's try one more time. Yeah. Hey, Tanner. Boy, oh, boy. I guess it's just the two of us right now. Just the two of us and Kristen. No. Right, Kristen? <laughs> You're not doing a good job. What am I missing here? Baby Nation, we're doing a Babysitter's Club mystery this week. Yeah, and Kristen's here with us. And as you know, Baby Nation, when we do a Babysitter's Club mystery, we do things a little bit different. Yeah, notably we have a guest. We have a guest, and we throw to the guest after you and I introduce the podcast. So why don't we start do that right now? Hi, hi, and welcome to the Babysitter's Club Club. Club. I'm your host, Jack Shepard. I'm your host, Kristen Russo, I don't... Okay. Let's just imagine that Kristen were here right now, but she's not. Kristen, are you introducing yourself or... In what circumstance would you still say, I'm your host, Kristen Russo? There's, I'm Tanner Greenring. There we go. And every week, Tanner and I discuss a new novel in the great sitter's cycle by The Hand That Shakes. That's what I'm talking about. The Princess of the Prince of Towns, St. Annabelle Matthews Martin, Stormborn, Soul Skinner, Mother of Clocks, and Bane to Bats. She is the first of her name and the last of her kind and the last hope for humankind. This week we're doing something a little bit different, a little bit off the beaten track. You've heard them before if you're a avid listener of this podcast. It's a Babysitter's Club Mystery. mystery. And this week, we read a mystery called Babysitter's Club Mystery Number 4, Christy and the Missing Child. The Missing Child is Jake Kuhn. The Missing Child is Jake Kuhn. The missing credit is to Smiles for Miles, Ellen Miles. I am nipple deep in piles of miles. It's such an unfortunate way of saying the same thing that I said, which is nice. Smiles for Miles, Ellen Miles, she's a favorite. And it seems like what she does these days is the mysteries. I'm trying to think of a nice way to say I'm nipple deep in piles of miles. So you're saying piles, not this the skin disease, but piles, just like heaps. Heaps. Heaps yeah. of miles. Um, and nipple, I think, is probably kind of dirty because you're talking about a part of your body that I that okay, you keep well, that's covered. Pretty, 
It's pretty conservative of you. Okay. All right. So you like nipple. Nipple, you will keep. Free the nipple, Jack. It's 2018. <laughs> okay. All right. So we're going to keep nipple. Nipple's fine. Okay. Nipple Nipple's deep. progressive. In heaps. Heaps is good. Heaps No, it doesn't miles. rhyme. Oh, it's got to rhyme. Um, I've been nipple deep for quite a while in all these heaps of Alan Miles. Now that's good. <laughs> You're very welcome. Now that's good. I like that. It's got a Vanessa Pike kind of cadence. Vanessa to it. Pike couldn't do that complex of a rhyme. There's a lot going on there. For I am, it's got an iambic pentameter to it. For I am nipple deep. I think it's uh, tetrameter. Tetrameter. Yeah. Now walk me through it again. I am nipple deep. Nipple deep for quite a while. For quite a while. And all these heaps. And all these heaps. Of Alan Miles. Of Alan Miles. Smiles for That's Miles. That's beautiful. Isn't it? Thank you. I yeah. feel good about it. Very good. Yeah. Kristen, uh, thoughts? <laughs> Kristen's going to remain silent until I say, and now let's throw to our interview with Kristen Russo from Buffering the Vampire Oh, oh, oh got it, got it, got it. Okay. Right. Good. Uh, and now to throw to our interview. No, no, I'm not ready to do that. What I'm, but I, I want to bring her in. I want her to like have fun with us here. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you except that we already recorded an interview with Kristen, which we're going to throw to later. Yeah, it was good. I loved it. Yes, but before we talk to her, we're going to talk to each other about this book a little bit. Specifically, I'm going to describe this novel, and then mm. I'm going to have you describe it. Okay, so you want to describe it. I want to describe it, then I'm going to throw... And then we'll throw to Kristen. No, then we're going to throw 60 seconds on the big bag clock and have you describe it. Then, then we'll, we'll throw do a to little, Kristen. Probably do a little back and forth. Okay. Then we'll throw to Kristen. Okay. Okay? Got it. All right, so I'm going to describe this now. so complicated. <laughs> yeah, it's not... Baby Nation, I hope you're still with us. Babysitter's Club mysteries are difficult, not just for Tanner. It's for everybody. The whole community Yeah. is affected. Yeah. Apparently. Yeah. What about if I describe the book? You do your dang thing. Okay, you ready? Yep. All right, I'm going to describe this now. President Christy Thomas, William Shatner, has defeated her now, arch... stop. Okay. Yep. Now, <clears throat> you, said, you said President Christy Thomas... Yep, she's the president of the BSC. And then it sounded like you said, in parentheticals, William Shatner... I don't remember having said that. You you did say it. You said you said <sighs> President Christy Thomas William Shatner. Are you, is this something that you're just introducing to deflect? I think you said it. I think you said it. I think you said it. I okay, think well, you said it. Okay, well, should I just take another run at just it? Just take another run at it. Okay. Just be Pre- careful like tread carefully. Okay. President Christy Thomas William Shatner. No, defi- stop. Now you said it again. I said President Christy Thomas, she's the president of the Babysitter's Club. What's wrong with this? Understood. Yeah. But? Then you said William Shatner. Oh, okay. Well, that's As though a- William Shatner were playing Christy Thomas in some okay. kind of... No, and that definitely didn't happen, did it? That in didn't. This book? Okay, all right. Okay, I get it now. I'm gonna, Go I'm ahead. Gonna, okay. President Christy Thomas has defeated her arch enemy, but at great cost. Her babysitting charge... Jake Kuhn has apparently been lost. 
the chunk bucket is being scrapped and BSC secretary Dr. Marianne Bones Spear DeForest Kelly no, has stop. become <laughs> not stop. Okay, what? Stop there again. What? You said you said <laughs> she's the secretary of the club. Marianne you said so what you said was Dr. Marianne Bones Spear played by DeForest Kelly. Yeah. Now it's a uh, uh, Marianne Spear is not played by DeForest Kelly and no, she's, she's not a doctor. No, she's played by Marianne Spear. Oh no, and she is not a doctor. Okay, well so I that was probably a weird transcription error on my part. That Can seems I, like a weird transcription error. Okay. Can I get back? Yeah. Okay. Her, we'll just put the music back up. It feels we weird can, because, like you, you, you also said you were said earlier William Shatner, and now you said DeForest Kelly, who plays Bones in the Star Trek movies, and uh, William Shatner's in the Star Trek. I, what a weird coincidence. Okay, well, I'll, we'll just edit this. We'll splice it together. But I'll, I'll, I'll start back at her babysitting charge. Yeah, we got a good take of that first sentence, right? I don't know, but I we can we can edit a good take out of it. Okay. Her babysitting charge, Jake Kuhn, has apparently been lost. The junk bucket is being scrapped, and BSC secretary Marianne Spear has become obsessed with Jello. It's all true so far. Sp- okay, thank God. Spear's odd behavior is evidence that she is harboring Jake Kuhn's katra, or animating spirit. <laughs> and. No? What? What? I, I, I say hesitate. Actor names. I hesitate a little there on Katra, but yeah. I'm going to go with it for now. Okay. Spears' odd behavior is evident she's harboring Jake Kuhn's Katra or animating spirit. And Christy seeks to take the junk bucket back to the Genesis planet and find Jake Kuhn. <laughs> Rebuffed, Christy takes dramatic action that results in war with deadly Klingons. Stop. Christy... Stop. What? Oh, come on. Now, what? I feel like I let it build a little bit. Yeah. I let you get away with it for a little bit. You said the Katra thing. You said the Genesis planet. Yeah. But where you caught me was, where I got caught up was on Klingons. Yeah. I just, I really feel like, Jack, and I don't mean this as a criticism. Okay. I mean this as kind of constructive feedback. Yeah, what you're describing is Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. I because I here's what okay counter argument. Yeah, Christy, Marianne, the junk bucket, Jake Coon. No, none of those no, are. You're in saying that you're saying movie. all the right things. Yeah, but then every now and then you slip up and you say stuff like uh, Jake Coon's Katra and uh, war over the Genesis planet with Klingons. <laughs> I, and I feel like that's that's where you're getting a little lost. But I I've seen that movie a bunch of times. I used to have it on uh, VHS. Yeah, that's a throwback for you, Baby Nation. Yeah. Uh, so maybe you're kind of conflating the Marianne's two. And not I don't in it. I don't blame you. I don't blame you at all. Obviously, obviously. But do you just want to like? Do you want to take a little bit of a rewind? Take a step, step back. Up. Okay. All right. Well, last fucking time. Yeah. Okay. Spears' odd behavior is evidence she's harboring Jake Coon's Katra yeah. or animating spirit. Chrissy right. seeks to take the junk bucket back to the Genesis planet and find Jake Coon rebuffed. Chrissy takes dramatic action that results in war with deadly Klingons. Christy and the missing child. 
So I said, so, well, so what? I I feel like you didn't take a step back at all. You said you said all of the things that that's what I have written here. Yeah. I look. Here's what I think is probably happening: is that this novel, Christy and the Missing Child, and the famous Star Trek movie, Kirk and the Missing Spock, have a lot in common. <laughs> okay, that's not that's not that's not the name of the movie. Okay, fine. Well, in that case, <laughs> Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. This novel, BSC Mystery Number Four: Christy and the Search for Jake Coon, and the movie Star Trek Three: Kirk okay. and the Search for Spock. Okay. <laughs> have a lot two, in two common. Two things. This, this novel is not called Christy and the Search for Jake Coon. It's called <laughs> oh, Christy and the Missing Child. And okay. the movie is not called Star Trek III <laughs> Kirk and the Search for Spock. It's called <laughs> The Search for Spock. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we're never going to get anywhere if we keep getting hung up on these. No, things. I know. I agree. I agree. Um, I feel like you didn't do a stellar job with that. Okay, fine. I thought it was great. What about you try to do a better job? Oh, you, that, let's, um, Kristen? <laughs> Kristen's not here yet. It's all on you, Tanner. It's a lot like in the hit Star Trek film. Star Trek Kirk. 4, Undiscovered Country. Yeah, Star Trek 4, Undiscovered I Country. I need to discover my voice much like... Uh, Kirk discovers God? Whales? Yeah, and that's not four, that's five. <laughs> yeah. Star Trek 4 is the voyage home. The even ones are good ones and the odd ones are bad ones? Yeah, even yeah. ones are good ones and odd ones are bad ones. Though I love some odd ones. Obviously, you love the search for Spock. That's the one much. I had when I was a kid. <laughs> Next one's the voyage home. It's a lot easier. Jamie uh, and I, uh, not to take off the pants and jacket and expose ourselves, but Jamie <laughs> and I watch every Christmas day. Christmas day? Yeah. We watch two films. Mm-hmm. The next in the rotation for the Mighty Ducks franchise, and the next in the rotation for the Star Trek franchise. Oh, that's good. Last Christmas was a bad year. Uh, what did you watch? We watched Mighty Ducks 3 mm-hmm. and Star Trek 3, The Search for Spock. Star Trek 3 is a fucking great movie. It's, it's a, a classic. bad movie. I think it's a great movie. Next year is a great movie because we reset the Mighty Ducks franchise and we go back to D1. Mighty oh, Ducks I, 1. Can we spend Christmas together? Because that sounds honestly like all I want to do on Christmas. <laughs> and we go to Star Trek 4. Voyage Home. Voyage Home, yeah. Yeah, that's a fucking great one. They find yeah. some whales. They find some whales. Tanner, yeah, tricked me again. You spent a lot of time talking about Star Trek. I am trying to keep now, us now, on. Now, I don't what? feel like this is my trick. <laughs> all I want to do is talk about this text and then throw to Kristen. Yeah, me too. Okay, good. I would like for you to describe this novel. I am going to put 60 seconds on this big bad clock. During those 60 seconds, Tanner is going to describe every single thing that happens in this novel, Christy and the Missing Child. I'm going to begin now. Uh, Flashback, 1992. Christy is way into Bart Bashir and way into to baseball she has a lot of uh pickup games with bart bashir's bashers and in one of them uh jake coon leaves a game and says oh my it's okay my mom said i could walk home alone and in the process of doing so he goes missing they go about 48 hours they cannot find jake coon christy feels terribly guilty about this because she was the last person to see him aside from Bart Bashir, 
They search everywhere. Mrs. Coon, Carolyn, decides that Jake's dad, Harry Coon, kidnapped him and took him to Europe. And they all kind of operate off this assumption. Meanwhile, Christy and all the children of Stony Brook do a search party to find him. And Matt Braddock says, oh, he's probably at the construction yard. And they find him in a pit. He had been (laughs) stranded there for 48 hours. And he is fine at the end. And time. Good That's job. it, right? You did good. Yeah. That's most of it. That's most of Was it. Was there a B plot? Not really. The B plot's kind of around Jake Coon. The B plot is super weird. It is that Marianne is failing home ec. Except the B plot is indistinguishable in this one because there's a number of subplots. Yeah. So we are in a flashback. Yeah. Because we are reading a mystery and the mysteries, we're we are not keeping up in real time with the mysteries. So we are, we're flashing back to a couple years ago when Christy is still enamored with Bart Bashir. Bart Bashir. Or Taylor. Nay, Taylor. Nay, Taylor. So the B-plot might be Christy's sort of like on-again, off-again romance with Bart. Mm-hmm. It also might be the awards. Oh, that's a deep plot. Yeah. There are this middle school awards ceremony yeah. where middle school students are, are awarded like... um. What's the word I'm thinking of? Awards. No, most X to Y. That's it. It's like the most likely to. What's the word I'm thinking of? I can't help you because I don't live inside your brain. No, you do, though. You do live in my brain. Okay. You're the most extreme example of this thing. The superlative. Superlatives. Okay. There's a superlatives award (laughs) ceremony going on. Yeah. Where all of the middle school students at SMS are assigned these superlatives. Yeah. And that is kind of the B plot. It's kind of, but it seamlessly ties with the A plot because Christy is beautifully awarded most likely to have rescued a child. Right. From a pit. And then there's this semi B plot where Marianne is failing home ec. Marianne is failing home ec, and she just keeps showing up in the novel. I have a theory about Marianne this week. Okay. Maybe she doesn't know how to read. You think Marianne doesn't know how to read? Potentially. Okay. Because she has all this trouble with Jello this week. Mm-hmm. Specifically. She doesn't know how to make Jello, and this is a huge plot point. Yeah. And eventually she learns, she kind of figures out on her own how to make Jello, mm-hmm. and she comes up with this scheme mm-hmm. to make jello and to make it extra firm and to put it into a shallow baking pan mm-hmm. and take cookie cutters and cut out fun shapes mm-hmm. and she's like look at this thing i invented and she turns it in as extra credit yeah and her own mech teacher i think offering some kind of sympathy is like great marianne you you invented a cool thing mm-hmm. but just to let you know these are called Jello Jigglers, and they're on literally every single package of Jello that comes out. Yeah, I don't think Marianne knows how to read. Okay, let me walk. She through. has Jello boxes, and every single Jello box has a recipe for Jigglers on the back. Okay, let me walk through the pros and the cons of your argument, if I may. Yeah. On the con side of your argument, right? Marianne is the BSC secretary. She keeps the club record book and writes in it and reads it back to people often. Also, on the con side of your argument, Marianne's favorite book is Wuthering Heights. Maybe she doesn't know how to read recipes. By Emily Bronte, and she reads it often, and this is canon. On the pro side of your argument, 
You know who else doesn't know how to read, Tanner? No. Dragons. Oh, dragons don't know how to read. Why would they? You don't so this to. is... So you just sit on your hoard of gold. Yeah. Yeah. Right, 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 right. So this is maybe furthering the canon that Marianne is a dragon. Yeah. So maybe As should, established yeah. in BSCC number 117. Mm-hmm. The Secret Life of Marianne Spear. Yeah. Yeah. So, Baby Nation, we leave it up to you. We don't have to tie up all the loose ends here, but kind of presented a case on either side of the argument. Marianne's leading a double life. Yeah. One of a normal teenage girl who's capable of reading. Yeah. And one who is an illiterate dragon. (laughs) Yeah. Anne and Ellen kind of leave it open. Right. To interpretation. Yeah. Um, But Kristen, what do you think? She's not here, but she's going to be Tanner because we're about to throw to our interview, Baby Nation, with Kristen from everybody's favorite podcast. Jack, did you forget the name of the show? It's Buffering the Vampire Slayer. No, I didn't forget it. I was leaving a pause for dramatic effect, and you fucking stepped on it. Kristen Russo, take it away. From everybody's favorite podcast, Buffering. The Vampire Slayer. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Kristen will have joined us. Kristen, take it away. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's, I'm just, you say goodbye. Okay. He didn't even say goodbye. That would have been so easy. Goodbye. All right, Baby Nation, as promised, here we are with Kristen Russo. From what do you mean, Jack? What do you mean, promise? Okay, Tanner. As you, you we just started. As you probably know, after this, we're going to record an intro. (laughs) Oh, 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 okay, okay. I see. I'm assuming that we'll get around to promising this during the intro. Right. I think you're both doing a great job. Okay, so we're not going to pretend like this is live. How about you let me get through introducing our guest, yep, Tanner, yep, yep, and, then, yep. and then we'll we'll go from there, okay? We can troubleshoot later. Okay. We're joined by Kristen from Buffering the Vampire Slayer. Welcome. Thank you so much. I am literally more excited to be here than I've ever been to be anywhere talking about the <laughs> I'm so glad. My wife is going to be delighted. She has two favorite podcasts. Her number one favorite podcast is Buffering the Vampire Slayer. And I think her second favorite podcast is The Babysitter's Club Club. <laughs> I like that you don't know that she's just been like, <laughs> I two favorites. And one is Buffering. Uh, <laughs> the second will go on. It could honestly be anything. It could be This American Life. And like maybe we're like a distant fifth. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know that when I come home, I much more often hear your and Jenny's voice in our kitchen than mine and Tanner's voice. So that's how I'm judging it. <laughs> Happy to keep everybody company. <laughs> So, Tanner, I feel like we need to address something here. Let's just get it out of the yeah, way. Yeah, let's address it, Jack. I feel like you've got a vendetta yeah. against me. And what it is, is you invite fellow podcasters on the show, and the things that they podcast about, Kristen, your thing that you podcast about is a good example, is pieces of culture that I have not consumed. <laughs> Last time it was the Harry Potter books, mm-hmm. and this time... It's Kristen Russo from Buffering the Vampire Slayer, a show that I have not seen one episode of. Well, I hate to break it to you, but it sounds like you are consuming the wrong things. You know what I mean? I consume a lot of things. (laughs) (laughs) 
But like, Harry but apparently Potter, it's the wrong things. I don't know. Harry Potter and Buffy the Vampire Slayer are both in one fell swoop. That's a lot. I mean, I've I've seen all of Torchwood. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I spoke too soon. <laughs> so we talked earlier on the show. I named my three favorite Buffy episodes. What would you say are the top three that Tanner should watch? Keep in mind, my dad watched both Buffy the Vampire Slayer and angel a lot when i was growing up Mm -hmm. they were often on in the background but my dad greatly preferred angel so i actually weirdly have a lot of like background angel knowledge just no buffy knowledge so i've got a way into the universe okay that's good because that means we can skip season one you know you don't need any of that that's great that's how i came to the series was that i tried to watch season one i couldn't do it and so jenny was like you know what Let's just, you have, you know, you grew up at the same time. I graduated in 98. Buffy graduated in 99. We were of the same era. So since you have those foundational pieces, we'll just start in season two, which is a much stronger season. But I, so recommending a top three is tricky for me because I've only seen the series through or prior to the podcast, I'd only seen the series through one time. So it's really seasons one, two, and three that I'm really familiar with now because now I've watched those over and over again, taping the podcast. Um, But I want to say that I think that um, Band Candy is a really great standalone fun episode. Band Candy? Band Candy, beginning of season three. It sounds like a 90s alt band. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I'm I'm sure there was one, you know? (laughs) But yeah, I think that would be up there in my top, especially post rewatch. I think Hush is a really great episode. It's a really cool episode. It's an episode. I know about Hush a little bit. Yeah, it's got it's like the like scary the- guys who float around and they smile. Yes, they're my they're yeah. they're my most terrifying demon of the whole series. Actually, they scare me the most. Um, and Hush is like at the end of the series, Hush was one of the episodes I remembered the most. Um, so I feel like that would be a good one. And then I don't know. This is hard. Did, what were your three that you recommended? My three. I just want to check with you. Bank is Band Candy, Giles, and Joyce getting young together. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. Yes. Um, my top three in order. Hush, The Body, the musical episode. Right. And I was going to put the musical in. My favorite episode of the series is The Body. But I just feel like that is not. The, the, you, you can't start there. <laughs> no, that's not what you would introduce someone. <laughs> that gives somebody a very weird impression. <laughs> Which is the one where Spike and Angel. Not Spike and Angel kiss. Oh my God. I'm like, yeah, what is that episode? <laughs> Spike and Buffy kiss. Although, have Spike and Angel ever kissed? <laughs> Only in our mind. Which is the one where Spike and Buffy kiss? You're just making it up, aren't you, Tanner? Yeah. (laughs) Are you just trying to get plot lines out of us? Yeah. Yeah. You don't need to answer that, Kristen. Um, All right. One more thing before we talk about the Babysitter's Club, because we didn't make you read a book. (laughs) So you said your most terrifying demon are the ones from Hush. I I have in me one Buffy impression. Oh my God. That I can do. Oh, good. This is great. I'm like super nervous because we got an expert here. He never does. And I'm realizing you've only seen it through (laughs) once. So you may not, you may not get it. This is, I say this to my wife whenever I leave the house. Are you ready? I'm ready. My wife. That's my one good impression. It's very good, Tanner. Okay, here it goes. All alone. That's it. Wow. And your wife, your (laughs) wife is still... Mary, she fucking you. hates it. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I loved it. I love the reference. Oh, 
it's so creepy. That so does that ring a bell for you, Kristen? It's fine if it doesn't because it's a late season. Uh, no, I mean, so the, all I pictured was one of the gentlemen saying that, but that's not possible, right? So I don't know. It's a little guy called Gnarl. And he's when Willow uh, comes back after some time away, and the only person who can see her is this guy called Gnarl. And that's what he says, and it is a spot-on impression. Wow. Is he, what is he? Is he a vampire? Is he a demon? He's a demon, Tanner. Gnarl. Like yeah. yeah. With the name like Gnarl. Yeah, you know? I'll send you guys a file afterwards. <laughs> all right, let's talk about this terrifying, scintillating novel that we all read together. Babysitter's yes. Club Mystery Number 4, Christy and the Missing Child. Yeah, I hope there's some resonance with uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer in this, in this book. <laughs> I mean, it was like so dark. Like I, I read the Babysitters Club very, very religiously as a child, and I don't. You know how you like read things as a kid, but then you come back to them as an adult, and you're like, "This is fucking dark." Yeah, <laughs> like, this yeah is- the the mystery books in particular have some very dark themes. It kind of shows the the darker side of Stony Brook, Connecticut. <laughs> like so much divorce and kidnapping, and lives were at risk. Yeah, Mrs. Coon just like her mind snaps to, oh, their dad kidnapped Jake Coon so quickly that it's like, what universe is this where like dads are kidnapping children and like flying off to Europe? together and like what kind of marriage did you have where like you're just like you know what his dad did it like, <laughs> like yeah what? i just it seems very very like a very serious offense to just be like oh yeah it's probably his dad this like the way that they went about the whole thing like the father took the kid and like all the kids being so afraid of being kidnapped it really resonates with the time period i i looked up and this book was 1992 and the 80s were like really extreme with the milk cartons and the missing children and like don't talk to strangers like i feel like we were really all uh inculcated with like this fear that somebody was going to take us and there's even a part in the book where you go off script it like goes to completely out of the narrative and it's just like telling kids what to do and what not to do with strangers (laughs) so it just seemed very on brand for the 90s this book was written by Anne and ellen miles and like they go through a whole section there where it's like Christy's mom is going through and telling Christy and David Michael and Karen, like, okay, like, let's all keep in mind. If anyone ever tries to abduct you, you yell really loudly and you don't talk to strangers and all this stuff. It was very, like, educational. Yeah. Even for me, a 34-year-old man. (laughs) You finally learn not to talk to strangers, Tanner. I talk to strangers all the time. Yeah, I think because I'm like big and affable, like people stop on the New York streets all the time and ask me for directions. And like any one of those people could just be like, hey, would you mind like hopping in the car and just like showing us how to get there? And I'd be like, yeah, I got time. (laughs) Oh, no, I see another mystery coming. (laughs) Yeah, search for the missing Tanner. This is not the first time that the Babysitter's Club has lost a child on an assignment. Yeah, I don't even think it's the second time. Yeah, it happens a lot. This is the longest that it's happened. The first time it happened was in Dawn and the Impossible 3, when it did turn out to be that the uh, divorcee husband had taken the child. Yeah. Uh, But it wasn't framed as an abduction. It was framed as like absent-mindedness. Right. Um... You could tell they were kind of setting up something in this book, though, where they were painting Mrs. Kuhn as kind of an absent-minded. Like, she was like forgetting that she had agreed to let Jake walk home alone, and she had forgotten that she had sent Jake's sisters to Stacy's house rather than the Pike household. Like, I thought it was going to be a plot line where maybe like 
Mrs. Coon had some kind of illness where she was being forgetful, you know, and she had agreed to send Jake away with with the father to Europe for the weekend or something like that. Yeah, there was some other weird stuff with Mrs. Coon, too. Like, I don't remember when she was given like a press statement and the way that the way that it was written, it was like she seemed very hopeful, but it seemed like accusatory or something. And I was like, oh, man, it's going to be Mrs. Coon after all this. Like, what is she? (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's like Balloon Boy. Like, do you remember Balloon Boy? No. What was Balloon Boy? There was a big thing in like 2010, maybe, where... In Colorado, this like self-made UFO-shaped balloon had gotten away from this this like inventor guy. He had like made this this inflatable, and he had let it loose oh, in a field, yes. and it got away. And then he went to the police, and he was like, "My son is in that balloon," and it like blew up into this big thing. And then it turned out like they were faking it. The son was like hiding in their basement the entire time, but they knew that, and they pretended that they didn't. Just for the news so, story, this does sound familiar. Yeah, just to, just to build some hype around this guy's like balloon invention. Oh Maybe that's what Mrs. Kuhn was doing. I am very bad at guessing mysteries. I was so sure that I had it figured out. What did you think it was? I was so sure that I was like getting mad at the book, like, oh, this is too easy. Uh, <laughs> and then I was just so fucking wrong. But so early on, Jake Kuhn says he's like super excited about having a Ninja Turtles birthday party. Very cool. And I was like, he's in the sewers. Oh, shit. Shit. You were like, you were picking up on the deep clues. Yeah. Yeah, that's like really, I'm like very impressed. That's a really great guess. I want you to know our like level of operating, how different we are, right? Because you're like Ninja Turtles, sewers, super. (laughs) I was like super, super like paying attention to the younger kid who kept saying she saw her dad's car. I was like, this is the clue. This is the clue. It's definitely the dad's car is here. And at the end of the book, I feel like at the end of the book, they were like, they like laughed it off. Like who reading this would have possibly believed this child? And I was like, damn it. (laughs) <laughs> I did. See, I had a different reaction to that unsolved part of this mystery. Okay. A child saw a distinctive car that only her dad drives. Right. Yeah. And they never tie up that loose end. There's somehow two DeLoreans driving around. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they do tie it up just by like making her into this like little kid who's going through tr- the trauma of divorce and like imagining things. But. Maybe there's a sequel somewhere, you know, where the dad actually threw Jake into the hole in the basement. Yeah. Your mother's going to kill me if she finds out that I took you to Europe. Get in this hole. (laughs) Pretend you've been here for three days. What is Harry Coon's cool ass life? I this guy's an international man of mystery, right? Harry Coon is go- so we were last introduced to him. I, the things were going well with the Coons. It seems like they've gone off the rails. Yeah, but he just seemed like a dad, a Stony Brook dad. Since then, he's got this like car that's like one of a kind. It's a Thunderbird or something, and he wants Jake to come with him on this trip to Europe. That he's like, oh, it's a business trip to Europe that won't be fun without my kids. He has like a strange new lady. Right. Yeah. They also can't get in contact with. No, they can, but she has no idea where he is, where Harry Coon is. Yeah. They got in touch with her? Did I miss that part of the thing? They got in touch with her and she just doesn't know where he is. She's like, you know, Harry. Because oh, like Mrs. Coon good. is very hopeful about that. And she like calls Chrissy and she's like, hey, we got a lead. We're going to call Harry's new girlfriend. And then, like, she calls back 10 minutes later, and she's like, nah, she didn't know anything. Yeah, I guess before cell phones, it was a little bit harder. But, like, 92, you'd at least have a a pager. You'd have a beeper or something. It's also bananas that 
Carolyn Coon, Jake Coon's mother, is just keeping Christy. Like, Christy is, like, <laughs> in the inner circle. It's like, police chief <laughs> O'Brien, Carolyn Coon, and Christy Thomas are, like, I mean, the listen, three most invested people. Christy yeah. is the most responsible bisexual that I've ever read about. You know what I mean? Like, She's, I would call her with information too. She really has her shit on lock. Yeah. I don't know if what you're implying there is that most bisexuals are not responsible. <laughs> I just offended every bisexual. Like, what the fuck? I don't know. I really have a, a very soft spot in my heart for Christy and all of her like holding up her dress and being like, then I decided I was going to be myself. I'm like, yeah, Christy, you go. So the main canon of the books that we read, we're pretty far ahead of where the mysteries books are right now. Mm-hmm. In the books we are reading, Christy has come to terms with her relationship with Bart Bashir and has decided that she is not in like with him oh. and they have gone their separate ways. Oh. But it's kind of uh, it's kind of refreshing to go back to this like sort of I don't know what she is, smitten Christy or confused Christy she's she's back to being um baby nation if you're confused Christy is back to kind of being uh in a relationship with Bart she's not sure yeah Bart showed up about 45 minutes later I was in my room trying to concentrate on my math homework but I wasn't getting anywhere with it all I could think about was Jake where was he who was he with was he safe Christy my mom called from the bottom of the stairs Bart's here I threw down my pencil, glad to give up on trying to figure out what X equaled. And when I got downstairs and saw Bart waiting for me in the hall, I felt great. I realized that calling him had been the right thing to do. She is totally smitten with him. And I feel like this is Ellen Miles didn't get the memo because we know what X equals from the Babysitter's Club novel, Christy plus Bart equals X. Equals question mark. Well, okay, fine. Christy plus Bart equals, huh? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> X equals Christy plus Bart. And Christy plus Bart is nothing. X equals zero. Yeah. Wow. But Ella Miles did not get the memo. That was some, I don't know, on buffering, we call it hell math. I don't know what we'd call it. Here, but that was some serious. I think we can call it hell math here, too. <laughs> <laughs> X equals zero. And in Christy plus Bart equals, huh? Bart tries to kiss Christy and Christy's like, I'm seriously completely uninterested in this. Bart does kiss Christy in this book, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Is this their first kiss? Like, in I think the it is. canon of the book. Yeah. They do. They kiss at the end. Oh, do they? Do they actually touch lips? Yeah, they touch lips at the, uh, at the award ceremony. Christy is awarded, like, a, a special award for finding Jake Kuhn. And she, like, goes up and receives her award. And then in front of everyone, Bart Bashir kisses her on the lips. Hmm. But he, but it doesn't say. I don't think it says on the lips. Like, maybe yeah. it just says that, that he kissed her. So, like, maybe he kissed her on the cheek. And this was, like, the first kiss. Like the first I have to assume if it's momentous enough for Christy to mention, it has to be on the lips, right? Maybe not. Boys didn't kiss me on the cheek at 13 either. Like, that would certainly have been a significant gesture in middle school. It would have been remarkable for different reasons, I think. If someone had kissed me on the cheek at 13, I'd have been like, that's weird. Yeah. Why did they kiss me on the cheek? <laughs> I got two sweet lips here for kissing. Right. We completely <laughs> missed them. <laughs> well, we know from uh, later books chronologically that it is clear in Babysitter's Club canon that it takes two kisses to be in a relationship. 
Yeah. Oh. And it doesn't specify where the kisses are. So I think that's true. They're now one away. Technically true. Yeah. <laughs> you kiss somebody gingerly on the base of their hand, yeah. and that still might count. Yeah. <laughs> Baby Nation, don't do that to people. Nobody likes it. <laughs> you could go into like deep, like fetish territory and kiss someone on the feet, but it still only counts as one yeah. kiss. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. You're not together, even though you just kiss that person's foot. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. But but because we know the main canon, Jack, in Christie plus Bart equals uh, they get caught kissing on the lips by Christie's stepdad, Watson. Watson Brewer. Yeah. So we now know in hindsight, that Christy and Bart entered a relationship at that moment. Oh, because it was kiss two. We had originally thought that yes. that was their first kiss, but yes. that was actually kiss two. Wow. wow. And Christy couldn't handle the pressure of being in a relationship with Bart Bashir and jettisoned. Well, mm. I think we've solved this Babysitter's Club mystery. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting to me. So my memory of Christie's arc is limited. Uh, having read all the books, I still, I'm not a person with the best memory. Um, so I read, because I went in and I was like, Christie, right. My, my first note that I took while reading is Christie is gay. Christie yes. is gay. Definitely gay. But yeah, then we've, I read the- we've heard that before. Right. I mean, she just like, as a person who was young and gay, uh, like I just, there's a lot of similarities happening in Christie's little world. And so I, I wrote that, but then I doubled back on myself after reading this book. Cause I was like, her feelings for Bart are very genuine. So like, you know, I felt that I felt that throughout this book, her feelings for Bart were exactly parallel to her feelings for Marianne. So I was like, okay, so she's bi, like she's, she's going to grow up to, to be bi, not maybe not just exclusively gay, but now okay. that you're saying that she moves forward with Bart and isn't into it. I don't know what the rest of her journey is like. So I guess we just don't know. Well, no, we do know. We have an explanation that I, that just occurred to me. Tanner and I have long held that the Babysitter's Club mysteries take place in an alternate universe. Oh, It's the same people, but it's an alternate universe. So they have like slightly different- It's an adjacent It's an universe. adjacent universe. And this kind of squares with the way that Christy is towards Bart in the main BSC universe. Which is more what you're describing initially, Kristen, where Christy is like, she likes him and she thinks that there's supposed to be something there, but it's really not. I see. Okay. So I was just in an alternate. Yeah. And so for for the purposes of our discussion, I think you're right. It may be in the BSC mystery universe. Um, we have a different Christy. Jury's still out on main canon Christy, yeah. though. Like she is completely unattached at this point. So we, I'm keeping my eye on Shannon Kilborn. Yeah. Right. <laughs> What's what's interesting to me, too, about Christy, because there were two things that happened to me while reading this book. One was that I immediately played the Babysitter's Club theme song from the movie at least 20 <laughs> times in the last week because I love it. And I was so happy to remember it. And the other thing is that I went because I was like, OK, Christy is definitely queer in some manner like this character is queer and so i went and i was like but i think Anna martin is queer and i remember this being a thing and so i went back and yes indeed like she very casually came out um just very recently yeah just a couple of years ago and but and she also said that marianne is who she sort of wrote herself as and so i'm very interested in the christy marianne dynamic because you know like she's queer she's writing these characters like you know it's not just like us laying over this thing it's like the author herself was queer so there's stuff in there marianne is interesting because she is 
the one BSC member who has had the longtime boyfriend. In the chapter two, they always mention, like, Marianne is quiet and unassuming, but she's the one who, like, managed to snag a boyfriend first, and they've been boyfriend-girlfriend forever, and they're very much in love. Also, it's very common for a young queer person to date a boy for, for, as a cover, you know? Actually, not to bring us down with statistics, but the highest teen pregnancy rate is amongst gay teens like queer women or I you know I use the word queer I don't know how they all self-identify but um because you know you're in high school or what have you and you know this thing and you don't want other people to know it so you like overcompensate by dating boys hiding things and then uh, occasionally getting pregnant all right Logan watch out Marianne and Logan (laughs) yeah Logan <laughs> yeah. Got our eyes on you, Logan. Yeah. We've been we've been <laughs> casting a wary eye in Logan's direction for a long time. Yeah, speaking of everyone's favorite demons. Oh yeah, that's an area of crossover between the the Buffy verse and the Sitter verse. Oh yeah, I wonder if any of the. So we have a pretty deep lore theory that Stony Brook, Connecticut, has been infiltrated by demons who are trying to corrupt and destroy these girls from the Babysitters Club books. Mm. And we, our chief suspect right now is Logan Bruno. Wow. What are the facts against Logan? He, well, LB, Logan Bruno, LB could also stand for the light bringer, mm-hmm. Satan. Lucifer. Wow. <laughs> Lucifer. Mm-hmm. He's from Louisville. He's got this very intoxicating accent, the mm-hmm. Southern drawl. Mm-hmm. We call him the snake in the grass. I can't quite remember it why. It felt very now, legitimate though. at the time. Yeah. There was like one scene where he was in the grass and you were like, that's it. Oh, he's often described in snake imagery. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? Wow, I have to read all these books again. And he has these little maneuvers that he does where he says these things and he tries to like kind of pry Marianne away from the group a little bit, at least early on, in a way that might imply that he's like trying to break up this Which is the only thing that is holding Stony Brook together. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the Babysitter's Club is the only reason that town is still in existence, really. It occurs to me that Stony Brook is almost certainly on a hell mouth. What does that mean? Now, what does that mean? Something I've never brought up before, but f- for reasons that you're obviously seeing right now, Kristen. But it- <laughs> is that in, like, is that in, like, Torchwood? <laughs> yes. How? Yeah, it's, like, in Torchwood. Part of England is. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can, you just guys, can you guys relate everything to Torchwood for me? Because it's really my only main... <laughs> I, did, I really didn't prepare properly for this podcast taping, but I'll get back to you shortly. Sorry, we forgot to mention, we emailed you and said, please read Christy and the Missing Child. And I forgot to append to that because I thought it was obvious. Also watch the entirety of the hit show, Torchwood. <laughs> the hit darker Doctor Who spinoff, Torchwood. Oh, goodness. I would have to agree with you, though, that I think Stony Brook could could be considered a hellmouth. I mean, it just seems like things are always going wrong in inexplicable ways. You know, like, isn't that the, the nature of a hellmouth? Things are going so wrong, so inexplicably, so often that Anne had to spin off an entire series of books called the BSC Mysteries. Yeah. Right. Well, and I've got a few passages that back that up in this text. I don't know if you guys noticed this early on. They're playing Christie's Crushers are playing a baseball game. The following thing happens. Anyway, it was just a practice game, so it didn't matter much when Claire wasted a big hit by getting so excited that she ran the bases backward. (laughs) 
That to me is exactly the sort of thing, like running a Pentagon backwards. Yes. <laughs> it's not a Pentagon. It's a quadragon. It's a diamond. Have you ever played baseball before? Running a diamond. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know my shapes, but I think that the point still stands that Claire doing this thing like witter shins, going the completely the wrong way around. Yeah, it's like something out of a horror movie. Oh yeah. And right after that, right, the moment after that is when Jake falls in a hole in a building site, Gosh. and the way they describe that building site constantly is via the metaphor of skeletons. Yeah. Jake, I called again. We'd reached the house, and I leaned into its skeleton-like frame and looked around. That's actually the clue, not the turtle's birthday party that we all should have caught when he goes to this house in the construction site. Anne and Ellen do telegraph quite a bit that all the boys in Stony Brook are obsessed with this construction site and yeah. all the big rigs Yes, yeah. building all these houses. There was a very, it's like the, the book had like several moments where I got really into like the queering of it all. And then an, another handful of moments where it was like, you know, Christy was like, you know how boys are when they see <laughs> yeah. machines. And I was like, yeah. damn it, Christy. <laughs> yeah. They had to keep it b- balanced. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there, one of my favorite queer moments or like call out queer moments is like, I, I don't even remember. It was towards the end, I think. And um, I think it was like when things were really hectic with the search and Bart was like, Christy, you go inside and check, check things out. And I'll stay with the kids. And Christy, like in this moment of crisis, still was like, had the had a moment to reflect and be like, I really appreciated that Bart told me to go inside and he stayed with the kids because most boys wouldn't do that. Kristen, you don't know it, but you were actually introducing a hit segment on the podcast called <laughs> Strike Against the Patriarchy. I mean, I'm really glad. I feel like if I had come on this podcast and I had not introduced that segment (laughs) unknowingly, like I should be kicked off. It's really kind of my brand at this point. (laughs) It's also Anne M. Martin's brand because like this is a fairly recurring thing that we've picked up in these books is the dismantling of toxic masculinity and the patriarchy. Mostly, I, I think it happens with Christy more often than not. She's all about yeah, it. Yeah, Christy seems to be the biggest voice against the patriarchy. Also, like, no wonder why I loved these books. You know, when you like go back and you look at a thing and you're like, of course I love this. Like, it's totally, it's, I would love it today if I read these books today. I do read these books today and I do <laughs> love them. That's what I wrote in my Strike Against the Patriarchy section, Tanner, is literally that passage that we were just discussing. Yeah. I like the fact that Bart was going to watch the kids while I did the exploring. A lot of boys would have insisted that it should be the other way around. So good. Thank you, Christian. Thank you, Bart. Yeah. Just one more brick in the mausoleum that will eventually become the patriarchy. <laughs> wow, what a beautiful... That, that mausoleum would get so many visitors all the time. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of bros. Yeah. A lot of men coming to like put their fedoras down next to the lit candles. More male tears than the world has ever seen at that mausoleum. (laughs) (laughs) While we're briefly, uh, vaguely on the tangentially on the topic, and before we have to let you go, is there any way we could talk about Marianne and the fear of domesticity that comes up in this novel? (laughs) Yeah, I did. I did not. I fundamentally did not understand this. Like deep B plot of (laughs) Marianne failing (laughs) home. Marianne is in a different book. (laughs) Like 
Marianne, there's a child who is like hurt and suffering and dying somewhere, <laughs> and you're like overly concerned about like whether or not you can make jello. I literally it keeps coming like, up. Okay, so I took notes uh, as I as I read because like there were certain things I didn't want to miss, and I want you to know that it, my notes I broke them out by chapter, and my note I only have one note in chapter nine, and my note just says chapter nine. Marianne, what the fuck with Homek? A kid is missing. <laughs> <laughs> He could be dead, Marianne. Oh, come on, Marianne. What is it? like? We get it. You can't make Jello, but like, there's a literal kid missing. But it, it honestly feels like Marianne is living in a separate book. Like Christy and Stacy and Claudia are dealing with the fact that a child has been missing for 24 hours and is like in some sub basement in a building site. And Marianne just keeps coming back and being like, "Oh man, the Jello right. project. Sorry, I, I still don't know how to like do this stitch and home ec." isn't working out yeah it's crazy but i think the way that these two plots tie together is this topic of this fear of domesticity right where it's like marianne who we know from plenty of other books is really good at sewing right yeah made marianne she's cooking up a storm she's <laughs> sewing clothes for people like she knows what she's doing but suddenly she's like caught this fear and then in the meantime Everybody else is having their deepest domestic fear, which is losing right. a child. Oh, yeah. Wow. You are deep. This is deeper than I ever thought we would go. They're deep books. It's all in the <laughs> Thank you. Tanner never says that to me. No, I don't, appreciate don't, it. don't let Jack take credit for this. <laughs> this is, this is <laughs> Anna Martin's work, not Jack's. <laughs> <laughs> Kristen, we have to let you go pretty soon, but is there any any other notes you captured? Anything you want to discuss? Anything you want oh. our expertise on? <laughs> I think one of the the major notes that I had, which because there's two things, it's like Anna Martin we know now is queer, and so reading the book, you're like, okay, there's something coming through here, right? Like the right. way the characters are written, the smashing of the patriarchy, like that's coming. But another thing that I just felt reading this was like. The kids all know so much about divorce and they have opinions that seem like past their age. Like there's the moment when they're like, Mr. Coon has a new friend and I can't believe Mrs. Coon isn't even upset about that. Yeah. I'm like, is that? <laughs> like, I mean, it was it was 1992. Right. Like divorce is a pretty common thing. I think my parents were well divorced by 1992. Maybe that's my thing is that like my parents weren't divorced, but I like and my best friend's parents were divorced. But I don't remember being 13 and like speculating about divorced couples and like if they had gotten together with somebody else. Like I was way too consumed with like who I was going to maybe kiss and who the, to like consider the love lives of like the divorced right. parents in my town. <laughs> So I just felt like maybe Anna Martin was giving us some stuff. Let's see, 1997. I was probably pretty obsessed with when the new Resident Evil game was coming out. <laughs> I think. <laughs> not not with who you were going to be kissing in the hallways of your movie. Too concerned with that to think about whether or not like my friend's divorced parents were hooking up with new women. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> And then I don't know. Then I had like a couple of little notes. One, I forgot all about their handwritten notes in the beginning of the. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That catches you off guard if you don't know it's coming. Right. And I had this horrible moment. I think I might have even emailed you both about it where I was so excited to have this book in my hands because, of course, that's the only way I've ever experienced the Babysitter's Club books is the paperbacks. And I logged on and was like, okay, I'm going to get myself this Babysitter's Club book and realized I had waited too long because, of course, you can't prime a, 
you know, yeah. prime order a babysitter's club mystery, Christy and the mystery of the missing child. So um, I had to, in a panic, I even checked the, the local libraries and they didn't have this in stock. And so I had to order it on my Kindle. And I was like, this is just not the way to read this book. But I was like, my heart was warmed a bit when this the notes were still handwritten. Yeah, Kindle, so. I could do without Claudia's intros, yeah. frankly. Her spelling is so it's atrocious really, that yeah, they take it far with Claudia's spelling. <laughs> they also like, I'm not sure they did it in this book, but they occasionally will do this thing where like two people are writing the intro as though they're both. Cause the, the conceit of this is that they're writing in the babysitter's club notebook. And what we are seeing is like snippets mm. from the babysitter's club notebook. But when two people write at the same time, it's like they're writing in the notebook at the same time. Oh, I see. Like in the movie ghost, like one of them has their arms over the other one. <laughs> <laughs> that's such a timely reference i feel like i was 13 when i both read the babysitter's club and watched the movie ghost at, <laughs> like like illegally like i was told not to watch that movie and i snuck watch it and i got in so much trouble i was found out because i couldn't sleep because i was terrified because it scared the crap out of me and then i had to confess to my parents that i had watched ghost <laughs> what what it is a very like sexy and thrilling movie but what part of it no, is, no. is it's scary as hell dude it is at the end of ghost spoilers for ghost baby nation he th- he gets dragged to hell yeah that's one tiny scene and it's not even all that by like deep but remember the scene too where whoever's the bad guy gets like thrown out the window and he falls on a piece he's like impaled by a piece of glass it's really traumatizing <laughs> it's a dark movie. I don't remember any of it. You just you only remember the pottery scene. Yeah. It's like a brief moment of calm in this horror movie. A brief, beautiful moment of calm that's carried me through my adulthood. The film starts with its main character dying horribly in a murder. That's true. That is true. <laughs> and the pottery scene if you think about it is actually just this lonely woman doing pottery by herself it's a dark fucking movie oh god (laughs) that's so sad (laughs) shit it never occurred to me until right now that she was alone doing pottery (laughs) yeah The only okay, so the only other question I have for you both, and you might not know this, but this is and this is a serious question, is one of my biggest memories of the series is uh, it's like Jesse's secret language mm-hmm. or something. I don't know if you've got got yeah, you've probably gotten there because I think it's early, which is like all about American Sign Language. And yep. in this book, there's a there's there, one of the kids is like prominently mm-hmm. featured who is deaf, and I just wondered like if you knew anything about the inclusion of this character, like if Anne M. Martin has ever talked about it, it just seems like, I don't know. I feel like we don't see this a lot. We don't see like any characters with disabilities. We're talking about Matt Braddock. Braddock and his sister Haley. Uh, Matt Braddock is a pretty regular character in these books. And it does seem as though at least all the babysitters and all of Matt's friends have like tried their best to learn a lot of sign language because they want Matt to feel included. In Stony Brook, it's really nice. It is really nice. I just like it, it was very heartwarming to me to read. Um, I've like been moving through. I run a, I co-direct a camp called A Camp, and so I've been like learning a lot about the deaf community, especially recently, and interpreters and how this whole process works. And and so like re- picking up this book that was written in '92, that was something that was a part of my childhood. I was just like, wow, there's like this. This is here in this book, and I was just very like proud of Anna Martin and impressed by the way that it was handled. So a pretty interesting thing to do is read these books at a breakneck one a week pace. And you go from like 1986 through to like 1997. 
in the course of two years as we have. And you see like the evolving perspectives around those kind of issues. It's pretty fascinating. And also it took Anne 10 years to do this and it's taken me and Tanner less than two. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Proud of you. I'm proud of you both. Um, Kristen, we're going to let you go. Um, I've had so much fun. Yes. Thank you so much for coming on our show. When can, um, when can we expect to be on your show? <laughs> yeah, so next week. Uh, <laughs> anytime, uh, anytime you want, you just call me up on Skype and we'll patch you. I think we've done a great job of showing how well we do using remote yeah. <laughs> Nation, you weren't You weren't privy to any of this, but we had to start and stop about 10 times. <laughs> um. Man, it's just technology, you know? It's, you know what it is, is we're doing our, our, both of our podcasts are situated in a time when we, like, the, the Babysitter's Club and Buffy, like, we didn't have all this technology. And I think that there's just a, like, a universe conflict that happens that just makes nothing work because we're, we're trying to use technology that didn't exist in the time that the subject matter that we're talking about. Oh, man, it's true. I really want to pull the perfect Buffy episode for that. I mean, I guess it's like when Spike tried to use the Buffy bot. Oh man, tell me about it. I love the one where uh, Gilbert and Xander yeah, which- <laughs> um, did this, they arm wrestled. <laughs> you remember that one? Gil- I love Gilbert. Well, yeah, What's Gilbert's his name? one of my favorite characters. Giles. Giles. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's literally Gilbert now. That's it. It's done. Um, <laughs> Gilbert. Kristen, before we say goodbye, which babysitter are you? That's hard. I, I want to say, oh, I'm probably, cl- I, I mean, I have to say first that I haven't spent a lot of time with the series in a long time, but from this uh, dipping my toes in and reading about the characters and remembering them, I think I'm probably closest to a Marianne. I'm certainly not Mallory or Jesse. I know that. And um, as much as I like want to be Christy, I, I wasn't as sure of myself as Christy as a kid. And I also did not have any fashion sense. So that immediately takes me off of Claudia and Stacy. Stacy. And then Dawn is like the California girl, which certainly I'm not. So and I, am I forgetting anybody? There's Abby, but she's not introduced yet. Yeah, I don't remember. Abby's like a funny Long Island girl. Oh shit, maybe I am. Maybe I am an Abby. (laughs) Abby, I'm definitely from Long Island, and sometimes people laugh at things I say. But Marianne is super organized. You know, she's like, and she also has like a little bit of the. I don't want to say butchiness, but like a little bit of the masculine energy that Christy has, at least in like the beginning of the series. Yeah. I need to learn more about this Abby character, though. I really don't remember Abby She's at all. She's cool. Jack and I are a little concerned at this point in time that she might be a demon, but <laughs> she's cool. <laughs> I mean, you know what? Some demons are wonderful, you know, if you're familiar with the series Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, like an angel, that guy who has the like the green face, who's like <laughs> friends with Angel and oh, Lauren. Charisma Carpenter. Lauren. Yeah, he's cool. Yes. There, you did it, Tanner. You oh, did it. Lord. See how easy. What's that guy's name? Lauren. Lauren. Yeah, you did it. I liked him. Yeah. Do you know Charisma Carpenter's name in the show? Is it? I'm like, I'm literally raising my hand right now. (laughs) I don't remember. (laughs) Harmony? (laughs) Oh, Harmony. No, but that's close. Harmony was a cordette and her name is Cordelia. Harmony was a very good friend of Cordelia's though. So you actually didn't do too bad. Good job. Thanks. I just wanted to make sure that anyone who's coming to your podcast from my podcast will be really mad at you. And I did it. <laughs> <laughs> no, we can, I think we've guaranteed that. Our listeners are already really mad at me all the time. <laughs>
All right, Kristen. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This was really fun. And thank you for taking the time to read a book. Yes, thank you for having me. And I'm serious. Anytime you want me to read a Babysitter's Club book and talk about it, I'm here. We'll just consider you a new third co-host. Yes. Um, Is there anything you'd like to plug other than your excellent show, Buffering the Vampire Slayer? Oh, thank you so much. Um, Obviously, you can listen to Buffering the Vampire Slayer, which is in all the places you'd find a podcast. If you want to follow me, um, you can follow me at Kristen Nolene, which I spell on my podcast every week, but I'll (laughs) spell here for you. K-R-I-S-T-I-N-N-O-E-L-I-N-E. And if this goes up before July 8th and you're in New York City, um, we're doing a live taping of the episode Beer Bad at Littlefield in Brooklyn. So you should come and see it. July 8th? Yes. Are you going to come? I'll come. Hell yeah. I'll be there. Yes. I don't know anything about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but Beer Bad is a classic. This is a great, it's a horrible. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Yes. Thank you. All right. Goodbye. And uh, we're we're just waiting on that invitation to be on (laughs) Buffering. Tanner. (laughs) (laughs) Tanner, you just, Tanner, show up at um, Beer Bad and we'll just put you right on the episode. Tanner, welcome back. It's so good Kristen, to be back. It was so great to have you on the show. Now it's just you and me. Do you want to plug your podcast or do you want to... She's done it. She did already and she's gone. Yeah. What I was thinking, Tanner, is we could talk about how this novel, Christy and the Missing Child, isn't just about the missing child, Jake Coon. Okay. It's about the missing child in all of us. <laughs> I like where you're headed. The missing child and all of us ended up stuck in a hole. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We all, Tanner, all of us are missing a child. We're missing the child that we once were. And it's Mm. in a hole. What's the hole? It's a hole of our memory, of, of loss, of time, of the passage of time. Didn't you notice in this novel that we get a peek into the lives of the grown-ups in a way that we almost never do? Yeah, there's a lot of talk of divorce and and grown-up affairs. Yeah, we even get a huge insight into Christy's dad that we've never heard before. Oh yeah, Christy's really very upfront about issues with her father, with Elizabeth Thomas. So we know that he lives in Petaluma, California. Is that a real city? That comes up. Yep, it's real. I looked it up. I may be mispronouncing it. Um, here, let me see if I, I'll read the passage. Mom, I said, do you know exactly where my father is right now? I mean, besides California? You might think that's a pretty weird question for a daughter to ask, but I'm used to the fact that my father has almost nothing to do with me. Well, she said, I think David Michael got a birthday card this year from Petaluma. What does he do out there? I asked. Does he have other kids? Why doesn't he write to us? These are all things I have wanted to know. All of a sudden, I was curious about everything. My mother gave a little laugh. Well, let's see. Something with horses. Hmm. Not that I know of. I doubt it, and I don't know. These are your answers in order. Something with horses jumps out at me. Something with horses. Well, we know that dream horses, Tanner, are deeply important to this series. We know, in fact, that the only way I'm just realizing... To get from here, where we are now, to Stony Brook, where they are, is to take a dream horse through the maze. Okay. So is that where Christy's dad has gone? Did he take his horse too far? He's in Petaluma. Yeah. Located 37 miles north of San Francisco, according to Wikipedia. Yeah. 
It's fertile ranch land. Yep. Lots of horses. Yep. I assume ample room for mazes. Certainly. (laughs) Horses, baby nation. Tanner, I would like to introduce a segment. Okay. I'm not sure quite how we do this. I think it's a beep, beep, beep that happens. The segment is called... Beep, beep, beep. Typo negative. Uh, Baby Nation, typo negative is a segment where we talk about a typo that we found in these novels. That had some significance. Well, we know that Anne never makes any fucking mistakes. She is the hand that shakes. She is not the hand that mistakes. I loved it. Thank you. I was taking a drink of beer as you said it, but I want want to (laughs) register that I loved it. Yes, and I want to register that you are right to love it. Yeah. She makes no mistakes when she makes a typo, when Anne makes a typo. It's not a typo. She's telling us something. Listen to this. I just want to ask anyone who has any information about my son to please call me. This is Jake Kuhn's mother speaking. And Jake, if you can see me wherever you are, I love you and I miss you and I know I'll see you soon. He was at the bottom of a pit. Okay, but we're talking about the typo. Say it again. I just want to ask anyone who has any information about my son to please call me, she said. And Jake, if you can see me wherever you are, I love you and I miss you and I know I'll see you soon. You're not getting it. No. Do I have to spell it out for you? Spell it. Tanner, it should be I love you and I kiss you. Now, Jack, I'm not certain that that's a typo. Why not? Because I think I love you and I miss you is a legitimate English sentence that someone could write and speak. But in the context of these novels, you would say, I love you and I kiss you. Yeah. No, I think maybe that's just something you and I say. (laughs) Why would you and I say that? It's a fucking super stupid thing to say. You invented it. (laughs) (laughs) It's something you started saying at some point. Okay. Um, And we just started saying it all the time. All right, fine. I'm going to move on. If you didn't like that segment... I'm just... I'm not... I loved loved it. I loved the segment. Okay. I just not... I'm not certain it was a typo. That's fine. Why would you say that to someone? I love you and I miss you. Kristen? She's not fundamentally not here. Okay. Yeah. So, no, she she doesn't want to weigh in. She's not going to weigh in on it. Okay, okay. What about if we do another segment... Great. <laughs> that I like to call. Ba-da-da-da-da. Baller of the week. Yeah. Who is it this week? Oh, man. You're going to love this one. Let me read you this passage. I had heard a rumor, says Christy. This is during the Superlative Awards. I had heard a rumor that Pete Black, who happens to be president of our class, was going to be named Class Clown and that he was planning to wear a clown suit for the occasion. Well, P Black. P Black. Sorry. Okay. Uh, did you say Baller of the Week? Because what I think you meant was Pete Black, back in black. black. All right. I meant those two same Of things. the week, which is a note I did capture. Because <laughs> Pete Black's a fucking baller. He is a baller. And, in fact, it's redundant that we have a segment called Bowler of the Week Yeah, in any book where Pete Black Because 99.9% of the times it's Pete Black. So, here's what happens. Chrissy was right about the rumor she heard, because here's what happens. Finally, everything was ready. 
Ladies and germs, said the AV guy. Shout out to the AV guy for trying. Yeah. Ladies and germs, may I introduce the president of the eighth grade, Mr. Pete Black, otherwise known as Bozo. Pete walked on stage dressed in a clown costume. He looked ridiculous. He had put on a big red nose, a wig the color of cotton candy, and these huge, gigantic shoes. Marianne and I looked at each other and cracked up. Everyone else was laughing, too. What? asked Pete, acting as if nothing were unusual. Then he laughed, too. Okay, we have a lot of awards to give out tonight, so let's get started, he said. First, I'd like to introduce my assistant for this evening. What's in that weird room? My playroom. What weird room? Can I come into your weird room? <laughs> Is it your Xbox and stuff? Your Xbox and stuff. <laughs> he skipped the line. It's important that you know you can leave at any time. You're supposed to say my my weird room. My weird room! Like your Xbox and stuff. Yes! It's important that you know you can leave this room at any time. <laughs> Baby Nation, this is a segment called Mr. Gray Will See You Now. It's a segment within a segment. Mr. Gray Will See You Now. We are talking about this week what Alan Gray was up to. And Baby Nation... My helicopter is standing by. <laughs> and you can take leave you whenever you want to go. Anytime. The helicopter's on standby to take you whenever you want to go. Jack. Just open the door. Just open the door. Okay. Creak. First, I'd like to introduce my assistant for this evening, Alan Gray. Yeah. Alan Gray, who is the most obnoxious boy in our class, came out of the wings. He was also dressed in a clown costume. <laughs> Pete glared at him. Hey, what's the idea? He asked. The audience cracked up again. Don't be so sure you're going to win that class clown award, said Alan. He was holding one hand behind his back. I'm going to win it. But there's another prize you might get. The booby prize. He whipped a big pie out and shoved it in Pete's face. <laughs> <laughs> And then neither of these dickheads won the fucking award. The auditorium went wild. Mr. Kingbridge started to get up out of his seat, then sat down again. Pete looked shocked for a second, but then he laughed and wiped some of the whipped cream off his face. He tasted it and smiled. Thanks for the pie, Alan, he said. It's delicious. A girl walked out of the wings and gave Pete a towel, and then Justin Forbes wins class clown. <laughs> Justin Forbes. Have, hey, Baby Nation, have any of you ever heard of Justin Forbes before? Who the fuck is Justin Forbes? I've certainly never heard of him. <laughs> but he's apparently the class clown of the eighth grade at Stony Brook. Oh. Oh. Baby Nation has a lot of segments, but what a we nightmare. Have at least one more. Kristen? She's literally, I promise you that she's not present with us in this moment. But she, she did me. do her thing already, or? She, we had already talked to her and she uh, left. Uh, uh. Okay. I've Can been I Tanner ask, Green Ring. No, I just wanted to ask you a question. Yeah. Did you this week, Tanner, have listen. a. For the week! Tell me. It's a real quick one. It's a burn on the BSC by Mrs. Kuhn. Okay. We had an emergency meeting of our club tonight, I told Mrs. Kuhn. We want to help find Jake. That's nice. She said vaguely. 
burn on the BSC. Yeah, because Carolyn Coon has zero confidence in you. <laughs> because Carolyn Coon is like, my child is missing, and the last fucking thing I want to hear about. <laughs> she has like she has fucking like police on the case. I'm glad you're fucking babysitters club. I had an emergency meeting. Yeah. My estranged husband has kidnapped my child. But then fuck Mrs. Coon. Burn on Mrs. Coon because like Christy, Christy finds and him. the BSU are the ones who finds him. No, that's a fucking good point. Tanner, did you have a burn this week? Yeah. Um it's also sort of a pop. Moment. I hate to admit it, but Marianne's home ec problem was really kind of funny. It made me smile to think about her class having to drink the raspberry jello she'd made because it never set. And I almost laughed when I thought about how one of the boys in her class, Pete Black, had said that another jello mold she'd made would make a great weapon since it was so hard. During study hall, he'd shown me a drawing he'd made of an AJL, an automated Jello launcher. It looked very high tech. <laughs> Marianne's bad at making Jello, Berta Marianne. It's either too yeah. soft or too hard. And that sweet boy, Pete. Sweet Peter Black. Black. The sweetest of the Pete's, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. Did a fun drawing of an AJL, an automatic. An automated Jello launcher. That's beautiful. Yeah. Tanner. Jack. I kind of think we should get the fuck out of here. Okay. Kristen. That's kind of. Lead us out. <laughs> See, that's not going to work. What about I lead us out and we'll patch Kristen in later? Okay. Baby Nation, thank you for bearing with us. Tanner, thank you for bearing with me. Baby Nation. Hey, you know what, Jack? You're welcome. Oh, it's a burden, but. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for responding. Yeah. Baby Nation, please take a moment to rate and review our podcast on iTunes. Baby Nation, please do visit bit.ly slash merch and pick up some of our merch. We have two shirts available and two pins available. We have a B-Theory shirt. We have a Bread Theory shirt. Yep. We have a iJack Shepard pin. And unfortunately, we have an I'm tanner green ring pin somebody made a mistake in the parallel construction but that's what we have they're all really dope the shirts were designed by baby b john and they're beautiful yep share this podcast with a friend baby nation this week we read a book that was called babysitter's club a mystery oh baby nation okay also check out kristen's podcast oh yeah, yeah. buffering the vampire no, slayer that's a good point. Baby Nation, there's a lot of crossover. Of I, We know this from people who have written in. There are a lot of people who listen to Buffering the Vampire Slayer and also listen to the Babysitter's Club Club. I forgot the name of my own podcast for a second. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and for those baby bees and baby buffies, I hope that this was a pleasant episode. But if you are not a listener of Buffering the Vampire Slayer, you should check that out because uh, it's a really fantastic podcast and uh, I think you will enjoy it as well. Baby Nation, this week we read a book that was called Babysitter's Club Mystery. Yes, mystery. Christy and the Missing Child. Next time we read a Babysitter's Club mystery, who knows when that will be, but what we do know is what it will be called. It will be called Marianne and the Secret in the Attic. I think we know what the secret in the attic is 
it's a bunch of letters that Mallory finds. Oh, right. From BSC Mystery Number 3. Yeah, and I'm realizing, Tanner, that those letters are the secret totem. Oh, we didn't even get into the totem of this book. Hidden in each mystery, Baby Nation, Anne hides... What's the totem in this book? Quick, 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 quick. She hides an artifact. In this book, what is it? In the first, it is the missing ring itself. Yeah. In the second, we think it's a string bean. Yeah, it's a string bean named Bruce String Bean. Uh, in the third, it is the box of letters, I think. We didn't even get into it in this one, Jack. We didn't even get into it in this one, but Tanner, I think this week. Let me read to you this passage. Yeah. No problem, said David Michael, panting a little. I can handle this stuff as long as I don't have to carry that. He pointed at the duffel bag I was carrying. It was even bigger than his, and it was filled with all kinds of equipment. Bases, softballs, mitts, and a catcher's mask. There were even a few miscellaneous objects in there, like a purple hair bow that belonged to Henny Papadakis. That's it. I picked it up near home plate after our last practice. Purple hair bow. A G.I. Joe action figure that I thought belonged to Buddy Barrett, and a pair of sneakers yeah, that's it. that that's said it. Claire Pike on them okay, and that's in it. red that's it. magic marker. It's one of those three things. We, I think we have to choose one. Unless, Tanner, Unless. it's from the following passage. Susie and Buddy ran to get their stuff. Marianne sighed with relief. At least the older kids had stopped fighting, but Marnie had started to cry again loudly. Marianne looked around for something to distract her with, and her eyes lit, Tanner, on a rattle shaped like a clown that had been left okay. partway so under the couch. Anne gives some particular attention to this clown rattle yes in this book and i feel like if anything in this book is the totem the artifact it is this clown rattle yes it is given a certain amount of reverence that is undue marianne scooted over to the clown and grabbed it without putting marnie down she waved the clown at marnie see she said see the happy clown can you smile like that marnie didn't actually smile but she did stop screaming as she held out her hand. It controls babies. For the clown. This thing. Baby Nation, every mystery, and puts an object of power. And this week... Jack waited for the outro to introduce it. It's a clown rattle. <laughs> we must leave we now. We must leave now. Tanner, this week, I have been Jack Alexander Shepard. And I'm Tanner Green. Baby Nation, round off the corners in your bedroom. Drown all your dolls. Call your senator and demand your right to bear time... And do not forget to let Daddy love you as much as I do. Baby Nation, remember the Delaney's. Remember Van Albert. And take your dream horse through that maze. Claudia's wearing a bra now, and the way she talks, you would think that boys had just been invented. Did I lose you again? I think we lost Kristen again. Sorry, I lost you again for a second, but you're back now. Uh, you're back. I hear I hear everyone. Everyone here? I don't hear Kristen. Speak. Can Kristen hear me? Kristen, can you hear Tanner? No, I can't hear Tanner. I can hear Kristen and Tanner. I can't hear Kristen. Hmm. I can hear you.
Why? Why would I be able to hear you and not Tanner? That's very specific. Oh my God. You know what this is like? This is exactly like the episode that Gnarl and Willow are in. Oh my God. Jack, can you hear me? You brought it. You brought it here. Oh my God. I should, I'm going to say this to Kristen. You're all no, alone. No. Jack, can you hear me? I can't believe it's happened to me. That's exactly what happened. Buffy and all of the Scoobies can't see Willow. Oh, right. And Willow can see them, but there's this demon who gets what's going on. Yes. That's so crazy. That was like an exact recreation of that of that episode. Except you couldn't actually hear me, Jack. You thought you could, but I kept I kept uh, Yeah, I heard you, but I was busy talking to Kristen. All alone. That was a headgum podcast.